Blog Talk Radio. Stevie B's Media Production is a part of the Showcaster Network. The proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ by members of the Churches of Christ. With your host, Stevie R. Butler. You're listening to What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. Listening to What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. Good evening. We have out in the world listening to this radio broadcast. Stevie B's Media Production presents What a Word from the Lord Radio Show. I'm your host, Stevie R. Butler. And this radio show is being broadcast from Stevie B Media Production at the Carolina Studio in the great state of North Carolina. Ladies and gentlemen, we are just grateful for the privilege they bring your program where we as Christians and members 
of the churches of Christ can share our faith and preach and teach the glorious gospel of Jesus Christ on a weekly basis. If you'd like to contact us while we're on the air, just give me a call to the live show at 713-955-0508. Or you can go to the Blog Talk Radio website and listen to the live show there. There are over 1,700 live shows on the air at this hour. And you will find this show on page three of that website. And we just certainly appreciate Blog Talk Radio for that consistency of putting this show on the first few pages of that website. And if you have any questions or comments for any of my co-hosts or special guests on this radio broadcast, you can send your emails to my new email address, butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com. Or you can give me a call to Carolina Studio at 910-491-6405. Now, again, this program is brought to you by members of the Churches of Christ. And if you need any assistance locating a congregation in your area, please feel free to contact us. Now, folks, this is the fourth Tuesday of the month, and every fourth Tuesday of the month, we have my co-host, Kelly Fletcher. She serves with the Livingstone Church of Christ there in Indianapolis, Indiana. So enjoy your listening experience. Kelly, it's all yours. Enjoy the show. This is Terry Jackson, and you're listening to a talk with my sisters on What a Word from the Lord radio show. Good evening, everyone. My name is Kelly, and you are listening to the Kelly Fletcher Show on CBB Media Productions What a Word from the Lord radio show. I am your co-host, and I attend a Livingstone Church of Christ uh, in Indianapolis, Indiana. Should you have any questions for our guests during tonight's show, please email butlerc1009 at yahoo.com. October uh, is the month that brings awareness to two important campaigns, breast cancer and domestic violence, both of which primarily impact the health and well-being of women. My guest for tonight uh, will be discussing domestic violence on college campus and the school's the school administration's response to reports of domestic violence. Uh, but before we get started, I would like for my guest, Candy, to please introduce herself. Good evening, everyone. My name is Candy Smiley. I'm an Indiana native, and I currently reside in Los Angeles, California. I'm a 17-year attorney and currently working at UCLA as a Deputy Title IX Director. I also worked for Howard University as a Title IX Director, Title IX being um, sexual harassment, sexual assault, dating domestic violence, and stalking, and other forms of gender-based discrimination and harassment on any, for any facility that um, receives federal financial assistance. Um, so that would be all universities and several other agencies around the world. Thank you, Candy, so much for being here tonight. Um, I, I appreciate you being on and being my uh, my guest for tonight. Um, this is this is definitely an important topic, um, especially for you know our, our younger women. And and I'm, I'm sure there's some men which uh, we may get into that a little bit but that experience uh, domestic violence or dating violence. So uh, we'll go ahead and and just jump right in. Um, And my first question that I had for you is, how common is domestic or dating violence on campus, on college campus? Um, Unfortunately, it's very common. Um, One in four women and one in seven men Um, ages 18 and older will experience some form of dating or domestic violence. And just for people's understanding, dating just means two people who are currently in a relationship or used to be in a relationship, domestic Mm -hmm. or two people who live together or used to live together. Okay. Okay. So you said one in four women and then one in seven men uh, experience or have been victims. Okay. Okay. so over the last couple of years, has there been an increase in domestic violence um, uh, among so college hard, students? It's hard to determine whether or not there's an increase because we know that the reporting rate is so small, right? 
And so they um, literally say that for Title IX violations as a whole and dating domestic violence is one of those violations, that we only receive 10% of the reports. Right? So that means that 90% of the things that are happening out here we know absolutely nothing about. But I can say that for my particular institution, that um, reports of dating violence did go up significantly in the last two years due mainly to the pandemic. Okay. And I'm sorry, go ahead. No, go right ahead. Go right ahead. I was just going to say, and the reason that I say it's due to the pandemic is because we were all made to or required to stay home, right? So you couldn't go into work. You couldn't go to school. You could not leave the house. So you were there with that person. And so where you may have been able to avoid particular situations by being out of the house longer or, um, you know, just going to work in general, you had no way of escape. And so okay. it made it really difficult for people, and we saw an increase in reports. It was also a problem where you no longer had an outlet to report, right? Because if the person controls your phone usage at home, you may right. be able to get to work to use the phone or get to school and use the phone, use someone else's phone. But if you can't right. go to any of those places, you now no longer have a way to even call for help. Right, right. And uh, before we continue, I understand that uh, my other guest, um, Keisha Howard, hey, how's it going? Is on the phone. Hey, how are you? Yes. Hi, Candy. How hey. are you? Hi, Keisha. I'm well. How are you? <laughs> I'm awesome. I'm awesome. I'm just glad to be a part of the discussion tonight. Yeah, and I'm glad you were able to make it. Yeah. I am. So we'll go ahead and. Um, and um Keisha, I guess with this, um I'll Candy answer the question or responded to the question about there being an increase in domestic violence over the last couple of years. So she was mm-hmm. just uh responding to that. So um I didn't know if you had anything to add um add to that. And just okay, so sure. you guys know just so you ladies know, there's no time limit to your response. So we, we can kind of just bounce off of each other until we're just done with the question and we can move move on to the next one. Okay. okay. So, um, um, so for me, uh, Candy, are you back in Indianapolis? No, I'm living in Los Angeles, California right now, but I come home um, often. Ooh, well, the sun shines bright. All right. Um, <laughs> So, so for me here in Indianapolis, um, yes, the um, domestic violence has has uh, risen uh, expediently here, especially just with the last incident that we just had um, prior to the, the the man barcading him and his wife in the bedroom and taking her mm-hmm. life. Um, this is all just within the last three months uh, with the. Uh, the young man taking uh, his his baby's mo- the baby's mother life in front of the daycare. Uh, if you want to go back a little further, uh, the young police officer responding to a domestic call and losing her mm-hmm. life uh, at the age of 23. So um, for for me, uh, the killing rate has has really uh, rise. Uh, but the I thought we were talking about the uh, the college uh, level. Um, I deal with a lot of young girls and so uh for me i don't think they understand the terminologies of domestic violence or intimate partner violence and so because they don't truly understand it's all that it's 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 all under the umbrella of play fight or all under the umbrella of oh no he's just like that he just loves me he's real jealous and so uh for us who are who are in the field we understand no this ends this way but for them it's no it's not that it's not that extreme you're taking it too far and so i think for me um my biggest concern has been over the last 20 years is to um, get our young kids to recognize it, understand how it looks uh, when it comes your way, know how to deal with it. If you need to run, run. If you need to talk, talk. Whatever you need to do, you need to first understand what it looks like. Right. right. I, couldn't, I could not agree more, Keisha. I think 
that's yeah. one of the reasons I'm so passionate about the work that I do. So federal, uh-huh. there's a federal, I'm sorry. No, 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 I'm agreeing with you. Oh, yes. There's a federal obligation to do Title IX training every year for incoming students, right? Um, right. It's a federal obligation for K through 12 and higher education, but it's really only being um, really pushed in higher education. So every year I get to train an incoming class of first-year students, whether they're undergraduate or graduate students, on all types of Title IX violations, right? So that's sexual assault, sexual harassment, stalking, but also dating and domestic violence. And we go through all of those examples about um, whether it's financial control, right, whether or not it's academic control, telling you whether or not you can go to classes, whether or not it actually is physical control or whether or not it's sexual control, right, because it comes in so many different facets. And so... One of my biggest passions is trying to get it into the junior high and high school level because by the time they reach us, that's 18 years that we're trying to outdo or to change their minds about, and that's very mm-hmm. difficult. Right. Well, you just hit a spot. Right. You just hit a spot, Candy. I'm telling you, that's the that's been our cry for the last um ten years. I'm telling you, you hit a spot. Uh, we do we do this campaign every year, and the very first Saturday in October, we uh, do is dedicated to our kids, and it's called "It's Not Your Fault." And so the purpose mm-hmm. of this, the purpose of this is to try to uh, head it off before they become adults and then either end up in debt or ends up in uh, this this generational uh, curse or this, gen- this, this cycle that will not stop. Uh, one of the things is a lot of our kids are experiencing these abusive behaviors in their home environment, and so because they don't know how to decipher or how to make that make sense to them, then they start implementing that on one another. And so uh, we, we do that on that first Saturday. We talk about uh, we we kind of mix a little bullying in there because a lot of times it start off on in their age bracket it kind of start off with bullying uh, kind of start yes. off with being uh, controlling uh, and yes. so we kind of talk about those things so that we let them know but yes um, I'm not sure if we have that here I have not heard of us being able to do that I think that that would be wonderful for the state of Indiana to allow. Um, someone to come in and talk to those kids once a year. Uh, I believe that the junior high school needs, you're correct, the high school, and and for sure that freshman year in college, you need to know because you're fresh out of your mother's home or your mother and father home. Uh, You're in a new environment. You're, You're coming around, you know, multiple personalities, kids from across the nation, and, and you want to be able to know, you know, this is what I this is what I will accept, this is what I will not accept, and this is why I won't accept it. And when I get to this point, where is my, my help points at? Where do I go to? Oh, I remember when I first did our orientation, they had a class for us. And in the exactly. orientation class, they, they said, if this happens to me, immediately get over here so that I can do two things save my life and not con- continue a cycle. I don't want to be a part of that kind of a cycle. So, yeah, I, I think that I'm going to check into that for uh, the state of Indiana and see if that's something that we can implement in our uh, in our educational institutions here because it's much needed. Yeah, I'm trying to um, speak to different states, and I travel around doing trainings, and I go to churches and things of that nature, but speaking to different states to see if we can get some grants so that we can just train whole school districts, right? Because individual schools don't have the money to bring you in, or the whole school district might. But I think one of the other issues that we have to tackle is not only showing the students what these, like, real-life examples, not using these legalese terms, right? I always say I was an attorney in my former life. I no longer do that work. But the blessing of being an attorney helps me to understand these laws and then to put them in layman's terms so that anybody could understand it, right? So we need to give them real-life scenarios, but we also have to do some background work. And what I mean by background work is, and I think you you alluded to this earlier, Keisha, where you talked about the fact that they see it in their homes, right? Mm -hmm. So oftentimes when I'm telling them what are the do's and don'ts, and the don'ts are being listed, and you're thinking about your grandfather or your father or your uncle, 
committing these acts. Now it becomes um, this person in front of the room trying to tell me right from wrong versus my family. And who do I side right. with? I have to side with my family. Who's this outsider? Who's this stranger, right? And so we have right. to be careful to couch it in terms of there are a lot of things that have been acceptable for our parents and for our grandparents in past days that are no longer acceptable for us. That doesn't mean that we mm-hmm. love them any less. It just means that we want something different from ourselves, right? And if we have to use, right. like, ridiculous examples like, you know, albums versus MP3 players or albums versus streaming, right? There's nothing right. wrong with an album, but you stream music now. You don't walk around with a record player. So why can't you correct <laughs> this about correct, music, correct. right? And right, so we have right. to put it. We have to put it in benign terms like that, right? Because if you put it in serious terms, well, no, your uncle and your daddy is dead wrong and they belong in jail, they'll never listen to you, right? But if you put it in terms as simple as records or, you know, using radios or DVDs and VCR tapes versus streaming television, then a student, I think, is more um, able, I think, to digest what you're saying and really take it to heart. Right, yeah. Uh, one of my blessings is that uh, I'm very transparent, and so uh, when I'm talking to uh, even the women, from the kids to the women, uh, I'm a survivor. And so I'm a survivor in two different ways. Uh, I experienced it as a child uh, watching my mother go through it, uh, and then when it was time to step into my first relationship, uh, it just it didn't it snuck up on me because, you know, when you were a kid, you always tell yourself, you say, I'm not going to accept that. That's not going to happen to me when I get grown. Right. No, this is not going on. And before you know it, you're, you're right where you said you didn't want to be. And so yep. when you're right where you said you didn't want to be, now you're asking yourself, how did I get here? And so, exactly. <clears throat> excuse me, so the, uh, one of the topics this year that I chose for the campaign was culture curse. And so uh, it's just what you just said is that this is grandpa and it's what they used to do. And because uh, the old saying, what's good for the goose is good for the guest, that no longer exists for us. Just because exactly. it didn't kill you doesn't mean it's not killing uh, a multitude of us in this new generation. And so we were showing, I was showing the class uh, one night, I was showing them where, um, you know, you wouldn't have never thought getting a whooping with a stenching car was abuse back then in the day. You would have just right. thought my mm-hmm. mom picked up a stenching car and whooped me or my mom, you know, kid, people, adults now, they make funny jokes. Of, I remember my mother threw a shoe in the back of my head. Well, yeah, that was it's funny to you now, but that was abuse then, and you didn't realize how much of abuse it was until you're starting to now come into the knowledge of, no, that's, you don't, that's not how you chastise children. That's not how you right. treat people. But these things mm-hmm. have these things have transferred through our community. Uh, and, and when I say ours, I do, I mean our black community has struggled from just this alone and not knowing how to transfer positive uh, conversation, not knowing how to transfer positive attitude, misplaced anger. It's just so much we have not learned how to go in and dissect and say, this is not healthy for our community, and it's destroying our community. And we keep going back and pulling back and say, well, it didn't kill me, and it it, it made me better. It didn't make you better. It made you bitter. It made you angry. It made you, you look at your life. Your life will let you know what it did to you and how you raise your own children and how you look at other relationships that you step into. Sometimes we ignore it because we say, oh, Oh, that was then. Well, that back then is still uh, haunting you right now today. And so right. my biggest thing for me is is to make sure the next generation, we did this exercise that I had uh, three batons. And so you know in the race, you know you put your fast person first, then you put your right. second fastest second, and then you put the fastest one last, correct? Right. So I look at it like this. The our 
our ancestors was the first baton. Uh, we, as a generation, was the third, the second baton, and then the generation after me should run faster than me. But what happens is the generation after before me passed anger and passed this this nasty this nasty uh, disease that I call domestic violence because it is it's honorary, it's hateful, and you pass this on to us. And because we didn't know exactly what to do, but we knew we wouldn't go let nobody beat us no more. We was ready to stand up for ourselves. But then guess what? This next generation is becoming aware. They're becoming aware of that's not right. And so before I let you beat me or take my life, I'll take yours. So we're in that kind of a thing. And so it's like for me it's transferring the correct information to get a positive reaction and a positive outcome. So that's what we're working on. Um, yeah. I'll see how it turns out, right? I think you're right. Like I look at these questions, and one of the things that stuck out stuck out to me was like, you know, when we're talking about when um, survivors are seeking help from the school, right? And does right. it somehow put them at risk? And do they face retaliation? And unfortunately, the question, the answer is yes, right? Yes, they and do. So uh-huh. that's why uh-huh. we have to be we have to be really, really careful when we receive reports of domestic violence because it's not right. like any other situation. When we receive sure a report is. of domestic violence, we want to talk to the person, but we got to make sure that they're safe, right? We're careful not right. to send emails. We're careful not to send, um, make calls and leave voicemails because we don't know if this right. person is in complete control of their electronics, of their of their email, of their phone, sure right? all of those things. So the person generally has to come in and meet with us. And before, we, what we'll do is we'll assess the situation and decide whether or not it meets the threshold, right? Because sometimes a person can say certain things to you, and that is considered a form of domestic violence, but that may not be a form that is recognized by the school policy, right? So we may not well, be able correct. to do an, invest, an investigation for that. But if it is something that we can do an investigation for, then we want to issue what's called a notice of investigation, right? And that's to tell the person, so the survivor who came in, this is what you complained about, and this is what it looks like in legal terms, right? But we also send that same document to the person who's being accused. So that's the boyfriend or the girlfriend, right, whomever it is that they're in a relationship with. Well, they Correct. see that, and they're going to get angry. So before we send that to them, we make sure we have what's called a safety plan, that the person who reported to us, the survivor, is going to have a place to stay, is going to have text message code words to send us if they're in trouble, is going to be able to go to class a different way or maybe take a couple days out of class if they think the person is going to come for them. There's so many different things that we have to be aware of. But secondary right. to that is if they tell their parents. Sometimes we have to right. deal with parents wanting them to cancel the investigation. Oh, you don't want to right. get that boy in trouble. That little boy has worked so hard to get his future. You don't want to mess up his future like that. Right. Well, I had a young lady who showed her picture, her father, pictures of the bruises that a young man had done to her. And he said, right. well, what's his side of the story? I don't want you going reporting and getting everybody all in y'all business until we figure out what's going on, because you don't want to look stupid when you go back to him. That's literally Our candy, can I add this? It, even that can go uh, total left, because here the uh, we had a, a kid that the father, the brother, the uncle, and the cousin, they were strapped up, and they was ready to go kill the boy that put his hands. And it's it's just so much. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. It's like yeah. It's like okay. So you have to understand. You have to know how to uh, cater to both sides of the coin, which is sad. It's like walking around on eggshells when you're dealing with this kind of stuff. This is like it you is. said. This is not something you could just simply say. Okay. Well, thank you for reporting, and we'll be checking in on you. We're going to be calling you. You can't do that. Um, I have a book bag. And I tell everybody in the class, prepare a book bag for your friends. Inside your book bag is an extra pair of clothes, some washcloth, whatever they need for at least two nights. Because I don't, I tell my uh, the class, you can never tell an abuser to leave. Because when you tell the abuser to leave, it is now your words and not their words. You have to just be available and ready for them. When the moment they tell you they're ready to run, 
you be ready. Tell them don't pick up nothing. You don't worry about nothing. You just get out of there. If you got kids, grab them and you run. I got you something already prepared. You don't have to because sometimes a lot of them stay because they're like, oh, I don't, I don't, I got to get some stuff together. No, you don't. Or what am I going to have? Even when you're dealing with college, it's like, okay, I don't want to go home and tell my mom or tell my dad this is what I went away to school and now I'm being in an abusive relationship or I'm dropping out. It's just like, what, how do I get ready to make my, my escape? Well, don't worry because usually you have one person you talk to. You do. I know some people say, no, sometimes you keep that to yourself. Yeah, not black women. No, we got one friend that we tell something to. You know what right. I'm saying? And so that one friend should always be ready for you because when you're getting ready to run, she needs to say, run, and I'll meet you wherever. You tell me where you're going, and I'll meet you there. If you don't know, then meet me here. This is a safe spot. So the blessing is that uh, Hovey Street is a safe place. So I tell my, my girls, if you run, run to this address right here, and I'm on my way. And I'm calling the police. Well, They're right the behind me. One of the things that's a little different on college campuses that we do, right, and I think uh-huh. it's, it's, it's really helpful for the young ladies is that, or anybody who, who's suffering this type of abuse, is that, first of all, if you say that you need to, to go, right, if you come to a counselor's office, to an advocate's office, or to the Title IX office, and you say you are ready to go, right, we create the safety plan for you so that you know what you're doing. Like you said, Keisha, you don't necessarily need to be packing up stuff because you don't want the person to be aware of it, right? What right. we do are two things Two things that we do for you. Either one, specifically in college, right, where you have laptops and things of that nature that are still in this person's um, home or in your home where this person is, the police will ask, actually escort you back to your home and allow you to get your belongings so that you can't be haunted. So there's no point in you going back by yourself. The police will go back. Correct. Campus police yep. will go back with you or the city police will go back with you. The second thing is is that we have food banks on campus. We have um, other organizations off campus that partner with on-campus resources to provide clothing, to provide um, shelter, temporary shelter. Like we have emergency housing set aside. In, in the school dormitory to make sure that you have a place to stay. Right. And they're off-campus, um, off-campus, like, apartment-like options and on-campus dormitories, right? So now you have clothing, you have shelter, and you have food. And if you need to go back and get some paper that you've been working on for the past three months and you need to turn it in, we can get it for you, Right. So right, all right. of that stuff can happen, but you have to know that you can come to us and get this help. And a lot of times the students will listen during that first week of orientation, and then they forget. And that's hard for us because we try to do um, events throughout the year to make sure that we're keeping the information fresh in their brains. But, right. you know, it's hard to get students to come out because if it's not affecting you at that time, sometimes it's it's hard to care, to be honest. Well. And keep this in mind, too. Uh, so this weekend is coming up. We have uh, some uh, awesome speakers coming in from uh, different parts of the state. Uh, one of them is an ex-preacher's uh, wife. And so um, she could not announce to the church that she was being abused because why? Her her husband is the preacher, right? And so right. I keep that in mind, even when I'm dealing with kids, like, uh, the college girl that I've been talking to lately here, her boyfriend is the quarterback for the university that they all go to. So mm-hmm. if these boys are in these limelights, it is hard, or, or these men are in these uh, special places, it is hard for the woman herself to simply just stand up and say, I am being abused by him, or even even remotely run without the stigma of, girl, where are you going? He is ABC. He is looking to be great one day. Well, it's the expense of killing me, of course. 
Right. But you get you right. get scared to run because you want somebody to say something to the, the quarterback, the star quarterback of the university, or you want somebody to say something to the preacher, but if they are this they if they're this this uh, idol of, oh, they're so great, then people will turn their heads and say, well, I'm glad she's gone. Well, maybe they just didn't fit together. No, he needs some help. Just don't, you don't right. just save her. You still have to give him some help, too, because once she runs away, he's just going to go to find another other girl that he can beat up on and tell what to do and control. So you, that's one of the things uh, on Saturday. We have a male uh, facilitator. He's going to be talking with the men because, listen, it does no it does no good to separate you both. She's either if she doesn't get healing, she's gonna run into another relationship uh, that looks similar. And if he doesn't get healing, he's gonna find another victim that he can pounce on, and then the cycle will still continue just in another separate way. And so, um, I like that. Yeah, I, I again, think. Go ahead. I'm sorry. What I was gonna say. No, no, no. I think with, with dealing with that, we have to challenge our assumptions, right? And so what Correct. I mean by that is that it is perfectly normal, right. well, maybe not normal, but definitely possible for someone to be an angel to one person and a devil yes. to the other. Yes. A savior to one person and a yeah. literal monster to the other. To another. That's true. There was, a, there was a, quick, a quick story. A young man told this story about growing up without a father and the man across the street served as his surrogate dad, taught him how to change tires, taught him how to ride a bike, taught him how to buy a corsage when he was um, getting ready to take his first date to, like, the prom, even taught him about condoms, right? All of this stuff. Right. To this day, this guy was his hero. When he grew up, he found out that this guy molested his two daughters, mm. right? Mm. He was right. a monster to those two daughters. But he was a king to this man. And all that right. means is that you can't assume that just because you see a person in a positive light that they can't have another side. And so oftentimes you see the star quarterback or you see the preacher, oh, he's the best preacher. He is so gifted. He is so, so, so. There's no way. It can't be true. She can't be telling the truth. Yep. Right? Uh-huh. All because you see this person in a positive light. But it is more than possible for them to be right. both those same people, right? And that's correct. The, yeah, yeah. The, the second part that I really wanted to talk about is like challenging the assumptions by the people who are, you know, serving to protect us. One of the things that we have to be careful of is. Anybody who's trying to help, whether or not it's people like you, Keisha, myself, or the police, that we don't assume that somebody has to react in a specific way in order for them to need help. Everybody's seen these Lifetime movies, and they see people crying in a corner, boo-hooing, and they think that that's how every victim of DV is going to look like, every victim of domestic violence, right? They have to have a black eye. They have to be crying. They have to be shaking. But they come in all different forms. Yes, they do. And so one of the examples that I like to use, a friend of mine used to work for the Sheriff's Association, and she would have to do training. And she gave this quick example. And basically there was a woman who had been abused by a man for over 10 years. So she Mm. was used to calling the police, right? She called 911 several times. She knew exactly what to say and how to say it all of those different things. She finally, finally got out of the relationship, and she was with another person. And now this person, her old relationship, her old boyfriend was threatening her life. Right. So her old boyfriend called her and said, I'm going to come over there to your house and kill you and your new boyfriend. So she mm-hmm. called the police and she said, hello, my name is such and such and such and such. I live at such and such and such and such. My ex-boyfriend, such and such, who lives at such and such and such, just said he's on his way to come kill me and my boyfriend. He called at Mm -hmm. such and such and such and such and such and such. Said it clearly. Mm -hmm. Everything was, you know, clear. There were no problems. The police decided to go on another call and got to her house about an hour later. When they arrived, Mm -hmm. both she and her boyfriend were dead. Mm -hmm. 
beginning. Uh-huh. So my friend asked the sheriff, like, what do you think about that? And a person raised a hand, well, of course they went to something else. They, she wasn't an emergency. She was all calm. Like, why would they think it's an emergency? And my friend said, what is the first thing that a 911 caller says when somebody calls with an emergency? Calm down. What's the second thing they yeah. say? Speak slowly. What's the third thing right. they say? We need some details. Can you help us? This woman had she done did it everything. for 10 years. She did everything, everything you told her to do, and you ignored her because you trained her well, and she followed your instructions. Yeah, mm, that's so true. Mm, mm. But well, it's the because lady, we assume that somebody's going to act a certain way. That is not the case. That's true. That is so true. The young lady who... The young lady who uh, we were speaking on uh, here in our workshop, um, she had a restraining order uh, against uh, him, and um, the restraining order was, uh, (laughs) I suppose it was no good after a certain length of time, and that's how he ended up. They both mutual spots were the daycare, and since their mutual spots was the daycare, he met her at their mutual spot. And when they, she got out the car, she didn't even know he was across the street. When she got out the car to take the baby into the daycare, um, the daycare lady knew, everybody knew what this young girl and this, this young man was going through. So for me, um, I couldn't understand why certain procedures were not put in place. But, however, he got out the car. They both walked up. She doesn't even know he has a gun on him, and she, but she can't uh, panic because you're in front of other kids. And you don't want to, pay, uh, you know, get the kids all scared. So she had to walk in. The moment she went to go walk just a little bit in front of him, he said, if I can't be with our son, neither can you. And that's when he just blew her away in front of mm-hmm. the kids, in front of the, all the kids at the daycare and the, and the uh, workers, and in front of the son. And when I tell you, um, when you go back and you look at her record of did she report, how many times did she report, how many times did the police come to their uh, apartment for fighting and doing it? When you see all the times, 17 times, 17 mm. times, and no one said that, do something about this young man. He is totally out of control. No, because you would say, oh, well, she chose him. No. Listen, I might have chose him when we were in our early stages, but listen, when he became angry, I didn't want him anymore. I, I have the right. right to say I'm done, but because I, I, I stayed here, now as the officers, you're not going to help me? Well, they do that a lot. They turn the cheek a lot. I, I know a lot of times because we've lost a total of three officers to domestic violence, they are not as quick to answer them anymore. They uh they kind of wait until the smoke is clear before they go, or if they have a, a nice number of police officers that can go with them So because they're not trying to lose their officers in the midst of this, right? Now, do I right. agree with that? Oh, heck, heck no. But, but that's the law, and that's how they have it set up. So that's why uh, it's important for us, uh, Kenny, to have these different avenues for these girls to go to and have the – and boys, too, because their, their experiences, you finding some rough girls who are going upside right. the boys' heads, too. Some of these girls come out of fighting homes, and you get them to these schools, and they like to smack the boy in the uh, back of his head or push him or put their finger in his face because he won't move the way she say move. So it's kind of – it's. I've seen both sides of the coin, and I'm saying that at some point we have to get the uh, our officers to understand. I know it's dangerous for you, but can you imagine just how dangerous it is for these kids and this woman or this man right here? And, and But you guys are being trained. Go ahead. I know I was going to say, but the other side of it, I think, and, I mean, you are, you are completely right. I think there's definitely, like, a switch. But the other side of it, like, for example, on college campuses, if you are in an abusive relationship, you can file what's called a Title IX report and ask right. for an investigation by the Title IX office. But the Title IX right. office, the university, is doing an administrative investigation. All they right. can determine is whether or not the person goes to school there or whether or not the person works there, right? That's it. But if you want a criminal investigation, you have to make a report to the police. police. Now, I will tell you that a lot of students would rather report to our office and think that the person can still be helped, right? So maybe they'll get suspended, or maybe they'll get expelled so that they can't come back. 
and maybe they won't work at UCLA anymore, but they can go some other place and, and work a job because they have family members or friends telling them, don't ruin this person's career. I understand you right. don't want them around you, but don't ruin this person's career. So there's a lot of things that can happen, and there can be a lot of history behind what's happened, but unless they actually make the report to the police, there's very little that they can do. Correct. In contrast, if you do make the report to the police, and the police do come on 17 different occasions, but this person has threatened you, okay, you call the police, see what happens to your son if you leave here. See what happens to your mom. See what happens Mm. to your best friend if I leave here, right? Because they know your whole family. So that's why when the police come, they end up saying things like, oh, well, never mind, it was just a misunderstanding. Or when the police actually try to file charges when they have bruises, they don't want to cooperate anymore. And so then you'll have situations where there's 17 reports and the police haven't done anything, the courts haven't done anything. And the reason they haven't done anything is because this person has made real-life threats that they know this person can make good on, and so they've chosen to try to maintain status quo until they can possibly get safe. Sometimes they're That's able true. to, and sometimes they aren't. And so that there's just so many different sides to the equation, and it's it's just yeah. that's what makes it so difficult to deal with. Yeah, that's true. I totally agree. I totally agree. Yeah, you're showing up right. Yeah. Yeah. Well, hey, I love the dialogue. I'm just sitting back, <laughs> sitting back, learning and listening. I mean, I and I I, I really appreciate it because. For those in our listening audience, it it gave them good information, and so I'm, you know, I'm just really hopeful that um, this is something that they can take away, and they'll be able to either, you know, help themselves or share it with somebody else that is a victim of domestic violence. Um, now, one question um, that I do have. Um, the challenges that school administration faces when it comes to domestic violence, do do they face any challenges? Definitely, yeah. So, you know, the ones that I mentioned, um, just trying to make sure that there's a safety plan in place prior to giving notices to make sure that the student is safe. But there are also challenges because, if the student needs to go away for a few days to be safe, does that mean they're mm-hmm. going to miss an exam? Does that mean they're going to miss some special presentation, right? Now, these professors right. will have things on their syllabus saying no makeup under any circumstances. Thankfully, the federal government says that's what you say, but we say she can right? But right. the fact that she can and the fact that she actually will can be two different things, Right. If she's doing her best just to get out and get away, she may not have time to come back and finish that up, right? So now she's gone to school for three and a half years or whatever the case may be and can't finish just because she's trying to get away from that person. The other things that can come about are just the fact that there's only so much that the university can do to keep a person safe. So if the the student just wants to do an administrative investigation and they don't want to go through the police, we can do what is called a no-contact order. That means that the uh, person who's being accused, the accuser, I mean the person who's accused of doing the beating, they can't speak to them in person, they can't call them on the phone, they can't text them, they can't go via social media, none of those things, right? If they do, they can be subject to what we call, like, interim suspension, and maybe they won't be able to go to school while the investigation is going on, right? There's certain things they can do to ratchet it up. But if they just walk up on campus one day, there's not like there's, um, you know, some type of video camera that's going to see a campus, see a student on one side of campus and get to them before they get to the other. That's not how it works, right? Right. So they can just decide – just like this person did that went to the um, daycare, 
to just walk into some dormitory or just walk out on the yard while a student is sitting there having lunch in the grass with some friends and harm them, right? Right, yeah. Much the same way it is for regular city police, right? You have a no-contact order, and the person isn't supposed to come 100 feet from your apartment or 100 feet from your job. And the people at the front desk of your job know what they look like. But if they happen to walk in when someone's head is turned, there you are, right? So the issues are is that we know that it's a very serious issue, and we do a lot to try to put things in place, but we know there is a limit to what we can do and that we can't watch this person 24-7. And so we do our best not to give them any false sense of security. We tell them what we can do. We tell them where we can put them. But oftentimes we also have students who say, look, I don't want to change my class. This person hit me. Why should I change my class? I don't want to change my Mm -hmm. dormitory. This person hit me. Why should I be punished? And we always try to explain to the students, we are not punishing you. We do not want to punish you. And if you refuse to move, that's fine. If you want us to move this person as what we call an interim measure, like while the Mm -hmm. investigation is going on, this person moves to another dorm, this person moves to another class, we will do so. But we need you to understand, if we move him, he still knows where you live. He wow. still knows what time you're going to be in class and in what building. But if we move you to another class and another building, he has to at least figure out where that is, right? right. And sometimes right. when we tell the student that they're more amenable to doing it, but it's hard, right, because they feel like they've been punished. They have a professor that they like and things are going well. They have a roommate that they like and a dormitory that they like and things are going well, and now you're making me move because of this situation. We're not making you. We're offering it to you. But we will make the respondent, which we call the person who's being accused, move if you want us to, but please know they will still know where you are at 9 a.m. on a Tuesday. Right. And they will still know that you live in this particular building on the seventh floor, room 704. So you have right. to make that decision. And so that's the hard part. Right. right. Yeah. So and I, um, I know we're getting close to the, the 8 o'clock mark, but um, I want to find out, um, Keisha, I know you talked a little bit about the uh, event this weekend, uh, uh-huh. which I – I am planning to attend uh, at least the banquet. I don't know if I'm going to be able to make the workshops, but hopefully hopefully I can. Um, Okay. But um, can you – are you guys still accepting, um, like, registrations, or can people still attend? Yes, they can. Uh Yeah, we sure. Okay. Uh, One of the blessings is that IUPUI uh, has uh, offered us uh, free classes, uh, the space rather uh, to use, which is awesome because it's uh, it's very difficult to get anything downtown for free, right? Oh yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> so we've been giving um, a portion of the campus to do the workshops in, and uh, the Urban League is where we'll be hosting the um, the evening banquet uh, on seven 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 Indiana Avenue right next door to the uh, Madam C.J. Walker building. So if anyone would like to, tickets for the banquet is $50, and Dr. Cleavon Matthews from uh, Columbus, Ohio, will be our guest speaker for the evening. He has been uh, with us uh, doing Purple Power Sundays at his congregation, but also his wife uh, is very uh, familiar with domestic violence in the state of Ohio. So we've had uh, previous talks about, you know, the um, – the stats there, the level of uh, severity that it is there. And so um, our workshops, I'm looking forward to hearing from uh, Judge Gaithers. He is the juvenile judge. He'll be talking uh, to the group just concerning how the ki- it's affecting the kids. This cycle is tearing our uh, next generation up. Um, one of the things, and I can't stress it enough that I believe, is that a lot of our killings that's going on amongst our young people is because it's misplaced anger, and I believe that they've been taught uh, to not know how to deal with their anger. I don't know what to do with this. I'm watching mom get hit. I'm watching dad uh, cuss mom out. I'm watching mom throw pots at dad. I'm watching somebody pull out knives. I don't know what to do with this anger. I know I can't fight you guys, but I'll go
go out here in the streets and I'll fight and kill because it just all it takes is for uh, Jody to, to uh, come at me and now I'm ready to go and I'm so angry I want to kill Jody. And so um, right. he, he sees it left and right coming through the juvenile system and so he's going to be talking to the group uh, about how it affects the uh, children. And I have uh, Avis Robinson coming out of um, North Carolina and she's a professor there at the university and she'll be talking to us uh, on the communication piece and how this is uh, has affected uh, the mental part of a survivor. You know, even though you come out of it, you still have some repercussions from that. You still have some uh, some residue from that. And she'll be talking on if you want to be more than a conqueror, it's still some things you got to do. You just can't run and think you're okay. Some other stuff you got to do to prepare yourself to be careful and watch so you don't have to experience this anymore. No know the the red signs, know the, the, the when the flags uh, pop up, know how to say, nope, I've seen this before, and we're not doing this again, and be willing to say no. Sometimes I know we say it'll get better. It doesn't get better. It never yeah. gets better. It doesn't. It does so, not. Uh, then we have a former senator, uh, Margaret Carter, out of Portland, Oregon, who will be coming in her own special way because she deals with it in Portland, Oregon, uh, and she deals with it in black males, uh, to the black male depression, but she also deals with black men who are committing the uh, abuse and some, uh, and she would say that a lot of her men that's coming through her have been abused. Uh, but yeah. their, their, their abuse comes from their fathers or their mother, so that intimate partner uh, part is very, very, very important. Uh, I know we talk a lot about domestic violence, but that intimate, uh, that intimate partner violence part, uh, it's a partner with domestic violence because when you don't know how to function, then mother and daughter start going at each other and brothers and sisters uh, start going at each other. Just a real quick story. We had an incident here this past summer where a grandmother was trying to stop her two grandsons from um, going at each other, and the uh, one of the grandsons pulled a gun out, and he said, I'm going to kill him. And he said, you're not going to kill, you're not going to kill your brother. You're not going to kill your brother. And so when he shot off, the bullet hit her and it killed her. Oh, and so no. that's that intimate, yeah, that's that intimate uh, violence part where, listen, listen, we are getting out of hand with this and it's, got, it's time for it to stop. And it can only stop if we start speaking up louder. We've got people that are speaking up. You got Candy in LA. You got, it's, it is LA or Los Angeles. It's LA. That's LA. Los it's Los LA. Los you're right. Like, <laughs> yeah, it's LA. I've been there twice. I got to come visit you. I've been there twice. So uh, it's there, it's in, or it's in Portland, Oregon, it's in Texas, in Alabama. It's, it's everywhere. It's not a, a Midwest thing or East Coast. or It's everywhere, it's, and, it's, and it's painted different, like Candy said earlier. It's, it just looks different everywhere. So you can't categorize it under one umbrella and say, oh, it looks like this, so when you're dealing with it, this is what you look for. No, you don't know what it looks like. Everybody is right. different. Everybody everybody looks different. Everybody operates different. Everybody receives different. It's just all different. So you just got to be equipped enough to know this is what I'm yeah, dealing but, with when I'm dealing with here. And one other thing that I just wanted to mention as far as a lot of the people may, that may be listening, if you have students who are in college, so there is basically a federal law that we cannot, I repeat, we cannot inform parents that their child is involved in any type of Title IX violation, whether or not they're the survivor or the quote-unquote accused, right? We can't mm -hmm. tell a parent that your daughter has come to the office and alleged that someone sexually assaulted her. We can't tell them that someone has, she's alleged that someone has physically abused her in a relationship. It's illegal. We also cannot contact the police if they say they don't want to. We tell them that they have a right to contact the police, but we can't do it unless they give us specific permission to do so. And I think that's just very important because a lot of times you hear parents are saying, I had no idea. Why didn't the school tell me? We can't. It's literally against the law. If you want to, though, you go to school when you – Drop your kids off for orientation or you come for the orientation with them. You can ask that they sign what is called a FERPA waiver. There's a waiver that means you can get their grades. 
when they get their grades, there's also another financial waiver. So that means you can find out about their bills. So if they got 100 tickets and didn't tell you about them until Christmas break and mom and daddy, please give me $1,000, you can find out ahead of time. But there's also a FERPA waiver for your, your judicial record. And that is that will that's what will tell them whether or not you are part of some type of Title IX investigation or Title like whether or not you are the accused, the person who's being accused of it, or you're the survivor. If you get your kids to sign the waivers, we can tell you. If not, we can't. Sometimes it's good, right? Because we have students whose parents have found out that they've been in an abusive relationship, but the person they were in a relationship with was the same sex as them. And then that wow. that student is now being abused by their parents, right? So sometimes it's a good thing that the parents don't know. But other times the students need some type of support, and they think their parents are going to be disappointed in them or that they're um, just not going to help them. And if their parents know, they have an option too. So just know that if you get the waivers, you can get the information. Otherwise, the school is legally per is not we cannot I don't know how best to say but we just cannot inform the parents unless the students give us explicit permission to do so. Okay. Yeah, I think that's and, just and one more time. The... No, go go ahead, Keisha. And we'll, no, I was we'll just saying that. that yeah, I, yeah, I was just telling her I understand. I think that's just the whole thing of teaching them how to be responsible. And I mean, you want them to know, but it's still their privacy at that point. Yeah. Right. And yeah. and just a real quick question, Candy, you said it's a what type of waiver? It's called a FERPA release. Uh-huh. So it's F is in Frank, E is in Edward, R is in Robert, P is in Paul, A is in Adam. So it's okay. a FERPA release. And it allows oh, that's for several types of releases. One will let you know what your kids' grades are at the same time that they get their grades. Another will is a financial waiver, so to let you know what your kid's birth are bill looks like. So if they decided to get their refund check and not use it for their classes, you would know yeah. about that. And the other is for their judicial record. And their judicial record is what will tell you about, like, a Title IX matter, especially if they are accused, that they are found responsible. Because you don't understand, there are students who have been responsible. That's our version of guilty. Been found responsible for a Title IX violation and suspended and they just told their parents they were chilling they got an apartment with a friend or slept on somebody's floor for a semester and then went back to school and never told their parents oh wow okay okay well this and this has been a really good show it's been a really great dialogue and um i'm I'm glad that uh both of you were able to to be on the call and be my guest tonight um, so I, I do appreciate the the wealth of knowledge that that you both were able to share, and uh, like you. I said earlier, you know I pray that this has been helpful to our listeners. Um, you know something that they can either take away for themselves or they can share with someone else who they know is in uh, is a victim um, of the uh, violence, domestic violence, and intimate partner partner violence. Um, Definitely. To uh, Brother Stevie, I just want to thank you for providing this platform uh, so that we can have discussions like this uh, on really important topics. Uh, To our listeners, I also want to thank you for tuning in, and we look forward to having you in the audience in November. Um, If you have any questions or comments for our guests from tonight's show, for for Candy or Keisha, please feel free to contact me on Facebook Messenger or send an email to butlersteve1009 at yahoo.com, and we'll be sure to get those questions or comments over to both Keisha and Candy. So, again, thank you, ladies, so much. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I will turn it over to Brother Stevie. You're listening to What a Word from the Lord radio show. Hey, sis, this is Genesis Archer, and you're listening to A Talk with My Sister on What a Word from the Lord radio show. Peace and love.
it all gets better with time. It all gets better with time. If you're on the Lord's side, it all gets better with time. Sing it again now. It all gets better with time. I believe it all gets better. It all gets better. If you're on the Lord's side. Life's a road, it's a struggle Sometimes you're gonna travel alone But hold on, my sisters and my brothers I know that it won't be long before Joy, your hill might be hard to climb You may have to learn to climb while forever from the Lord Radio Show.